Craft Beer Radio, episode 206, February 24th, 2012. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio. This week we have a $50 beer show. That's what I'm going to call it. Because it costs me $50 to buy all these beers. So. All right. That this works. is the, I got all these in Maryland when I was down there recently, and uh, a bunch of these are well. I just I thought they were all really interesting, and I wanted to give them a shot. So the first one we're going to try is actually a beer from Scotland. It is the Kelpie Seaweed Ale from Williams Brothers Brewing Company. This is um, made is four point four percent alcohol by volume, so it's sessionable. Uh, 1.054 original gravity, 15 IBUs, malted with British pale ale malt, crystal malt, roast barley, chocolate malt, and obviously seaweed. First gold hops. So I don't know what those hops are, but those are kind of interesting. So apparently, I'm not too familiar with first gold either. So they say on their website, uh, prior to the 1850s, Scottish coastal ale houses brewed with malted barley. Grown in fields fertilized by seaweed. This gives the barley a very specific flavor, which we create. Interesting. So it says, uh, brewed with natural flavor. Does it say they put seaweed in it? or Yes. Okay. They, they recreate by the inclusion of fresh seaweed in the mash tun. Okay. It's a, it's a dark ale. It's... Well, it's like a porter. Yeah. It's, yeah, it has a it has kind of a deep porterish kind of aroma to it, right? It has some of that astringency. A little smoky too, which I don't know if they used any smoked malt or anything like that to kind of do that. Because if it's crystal roast barley chocolate, if it's a if it's a historic recipe, you know, and they're talking about barley fertilized with seaweed, and if it was malted, you know, it could be you know a smokier malt, you know, historically. So I don't know if they're going for that at all, but I kind of get that in the aroma. Smells good. Does smell good. I can smell the chocolates from the chocolate malt too coming through. Smoky smokiness carries through in the flavor too. And you get this not super chocolatey in the front, but you get this nice roasty front. And it comes through to something a little weird in the end. That must be something from the seaweed. It's it's yes, yeah, it's, it's different. It's it's got a I, I I wouldn't pick out seaweed blind, right? But since I know seaweed, there's something kind of I don't know sea foamy, frothy about mm-hmm. it, right? There's a little sort of far off, mm-hmm. not so not say not quite fishy, but a little bit salt watery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sea foam is just that protein stuff that gathers from all the stuff in there. So a little bit of that proteiny, seaish smell, but. In flavor. Mm-hmm. Seaweed is interesting because, uh, for the most part, most seaweed is not a plant, but an algae. Okay. So. Really? Yes. Oh, you're just talking about most seaweed by volume in the oceans, right. not most seaweed you see washing up on shore. Right. Okay, see, I, was, I heard you the wrong way. Like, really? The stuff that washes up on shore sure looks like... <laughs> well, the stuff that, you, that they wrap um, sushi in, mm-hmm. that's definitely an algae. Oh, okay, yeah, but that's that's like pressed into yeah. sheets, right? And dried. Never really thought much about it, but it makes sense. So, I did the um, CBR Laboratories yes. beer glass experiment, frozen beer glass experiment last weekend. And uh, Greg and I haven't talked about it at all. I kind of just did it on my own and put it out there. So let's talk about the impetus for this experiment. You you were on Twitter and you were having a, 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 a I don't know if war of words is quite the way to put it, but you you, I, I, you I, said how much you hated frosted glasses and so I was bitching about a restaurant that I like to go to, but I always for, I don't go there enough to remember that they're probably going to serve me a frosted glass, so I forget to ask for a room temperature glass. And it came in a frozen glass. Mm-hmm. So I was bitching about it, and Barley69 on Twitter made a comment where it wasn't 
he doesn't like it, but he says it's not a big deal. It doesn't really have a lasting effect. You know, it just takes a few minutes for it to, you know, overcome the effects of Frozen. And my gut was telling me, no, that's not right. It's like 15 to 20 minutes before the glass that it's even worth drinking. So we kind of had this at this idea at the same time. I'm like, I'm going to do an experiment. And he tweeted, it's easy enough to test. I'm like, you're right. It is easy enough to test. So what I did a couple of days later was I devised the Frozen glass experiment right and i don't want to you can you can watch the thing the online thing. Yeah. you can read it on our website so i have some interesting questions about uh a the methodology and i guess b what what you discovered means so the questions about the methodology are as follows first of all your beer analog was water yes. which is I mean, water, beer is mostly water. However, beer does have some other things in it. Obviously, things like alcohol, which um, will will hurt the way, will hurt how things warm up uh, in general. I mean, and all the beer is more dense than water, yeah. right? Because the alcohol is less dense, but the, all the other proteins and stuff in there are constantly more dense. Final gravity, if it's higher than one specific gravity, then it's more dense than water. Right. Um, also, beer, by its nature of being carbonated, has some convection inside of it, which may actually aid in heat distribution. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much that plays. I think perhaps a uh, carbonated water may, may have been a better al- analog. Right. That's probably not that big big of a difference. Um, I do think that people's hands on the glasses has a major impact on heat transfer and and how things go. So generally you're not leaving your beer standing without touching your glass for however long a period of time. Right. I don't think a frosted glass stays frosted very long because of that. I think a frosted glass gets down to at least a refrigerated glass temperature pretty quickly because of 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 the transfer from your hand. The same way that we can make a beer relatively, you know, warmer simply by putting our hands around the beer in a glass. Right. So I, I picked, you know, a couple comments there. I picked, you know, really the worst case scenario. The, the glasses I had with some of them, other than mugs, with the most thermal mass, right? Mm-hmm. Just the standard shaker pint. But that's typically what you're going to get when you get a frozen glass anyway. Yes. And yeah, you're not going to get a, a tulip glass frozen. It's just not going right. to happen. So I do want to experiment handling and drinking because if you decrease I, some of the results that I found, and new hypotheses that I've made is after the frozen glass equalizes with the beer, I think at that point, the beer is the majority of the thermal mass. So if you're drinking the frozen beer, you're going to be removing a lot of that coldness from, you know, the, the, not removing coldness, but I guess that's just the, you know, the easier way to state what's happening. You're removing the coldness from the glass. So it should warm Mm -hmm. up faster because there's less cold mass there to, um, to change. Um, handling the beer i agree i hear with what you're saying but my experience tells me that it's not as little of an effect as what you suggested because i've held on to a frozen one of these glasses for 15 minutes and it's still cold and if you look at the experiment it took 35 minutes for the beer to get back to the serving temperature the pouring temperature on the frozen glass Mm -hmm. so it it fits with my my anecdotal evidence of 15 minutes with your hands on it versus 35 minutes not touching it makes sense to me. But I do want to experiment that. And I do want to test it. another thing that has to be considered is taste of the beer at various temperatures. And that's not something that... I mean, you considered what was uh, an optimal temperature for an optimal ale, right? That's what you... Mm -hmm. But... Those aren't always the same. If I start putting sensory into this, it gets a whole lot less conclusional and a whole lot more complicated. Well, it is a complicated issue. I don't think that you can simply state, well, the the, the cold glass doesn't warm up as quickly, therefore it's necessarily worse. I was I, I was just trying to show... It's a data point. It's an interesting data point right. that you have I mean, there. I mean, what I think it shows is how much longer it takes a cold glass under the same scenario and I think a lot of people were surprised that it took that much longer and I do have more ideas on more experiments to do and I think you know the holy grail would be able to say when the beer tastes its best or something like that right Right. 
But then you're getting into the whole sensory analysis thing, and that just is going to make it so much more complicated. Yeah, perhaps a, the best beer analog would be if you just bought a cheap, like a couple bottles of Miller Lite or something, and you used a real beer. Not something that we would necessarily, you know, drink, but it would contain essentially the stuff that you would find in most beers. Sure. Uh, I think I know instead of doing the same experiment with beer. I think we need to do a side-by-side water versus beer, mm-hmm. um, which is something I plan on doing. And, and then, you know, try to do some kind of drinking simulation. But before I... I think before I really go into more experiments, I need to get several... I need to get a thermometer for each test yes. instead of trying to use one. Um, and ideally, thermometers that read, you know... You know, they have the same capabilities and, you know... It'd be cool if you had one of those infrared cameras they have on Mythbusters, so we could then, like... Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> that wouldn't break the bank. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things to uh, to improve. I'm, I'm really enjoying... Back to the beer. I'm really enjoying the seaweed ale. Um, it's it's not... It doesn't taste like, you know... Oh, my God, it tastes like the ocean. It's it's a it's basically a chocolate... You know, a, a, a chocolate ale... More or less, with some sea breeze kind of flavor. I'm not sure. I would, I would just say, you know, it's porter. I, I don't know if I would go call it a chocolate ale because to me that means, you know, well, at four point four percent, I don't know. That's porter. Yeah, it's porterish. I, I, I would, if tasting this blind, I, I assume I would call it a porter. So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. with you. But it's, it's nice and malty. It, it does not have a big hop um, flavor, but it uh, doesn't really need one. Mm-hmm. So now, this is a 500 milliliter bottle. It's interesting. You don't get bottles like that very often. Yeah. And uh, they say on the label, micro-brewed for maximum flavor. So <laughs> if it were macro-brewed, it wouldn't have as much flavor. It's an inverse relationship. <laughs> so that's cool. I'm glad I got that one. I like it. So I had fun doing the experiment. Um, and not everyone's going to be a breakthrough, but I do want to do some more CBR lab stuff. I think if we can you know, get some interesting ideas and do some... Just verify or you know, prove things that are just anecdotal that... Um, you know, haven't had tests. It's sort of like beer Mythbusters. Kind of. All right, what's next? Um, I, uh, I guess the peach one. All right. I was, I was thinking of saving that for last because it's peaches, but... Well, we got to say the, the moche, the, the, the... Mole? The mole one is, like, hot, spicy. Yeah, that's true. So, okay. So, we can do the IPA next if you want. Uh, let's do the peaches one first, because the IPA might then blow our, blow our peach sensitivity. <laughs> so, peach sensitivity. I like it. Let me find this one. I, oh, did I lose the, now here it is. This is from Epic Brewing. This is Brainless on Peaches. Uh, it is malted with Weirman German Pilsner malt, Mutton's Maris Otter Pale malt, Bryes carapace malt, flaked oats, candy sugar, 100% pure peach puree with no preservatives, second fermentation, and aged in Chardonnay casks with champagne yeast. So it's hot with preeminent, with premient, sorry, premient, tetanang and zatz hops at 10.5 alcohol, 10.5% alcohol by volume. This is a Belgian style oak barrel which aged. Ba- which release is that? This is release number five. Wow. Okay. So that one was from June 2011. So it's six months old or eight months old. They have a. Are these tasting notes for each release or. Looks like it. Um, yeah, I guess they're slightly different. So they talk about how the barrels are changing. They lower the tetanang hops slightly on this one, let the fruit and white aging come up to the top of the palate, they say. Uh, so, yeah. 
this has interesting label. It's this, um, the paper is, is kind of, I don't know. Parchmenty? Parchmenty, right. That's a good way to put it. And it's, it's a peach color on white. It's part of their Exponential series. Yeah, so their Elevated series has a beer called Brainless Belgian-style Golden Ale. So Brainless on peaches, and they may have other kinds of Brainlesses, or at least they left the door open for more kinds of Brainlesses. They currently do not have other kinds of Brainless. They have a Sour Apple Saison, though. Hmm. They got a lot in the... Uh... Oh, wait, no, they did a Brainless on cherries. Well, this one jumped out at me mm-hmm. when I saw it. I was like, hmm. I mean, first of all, the label is very interesting, so that caught my eye. And then looking at it, I was like, well, I gotta I gotta give this a shot. This was, I believe this was the most expensive one of the night. So uh, don't expect to be um, saving much money. Although, it was only about, I don't know, 12 bucks. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, uh, did you say they're out of... Uh... They're out of Utah, right? Salt Lake, I think? Yes. Yeah, Salt Lake City, Utah is epic. So, they're allowed to now serve large, uh, big beers in Utah, so that's good. They technically say this is a malt beverage brewed with peach and Asian oak barrel, I guess because they can't call it a beer for whatever reason. Probably Utah uh, if it's If it's over, I forget the percentage, maybe 3.2, it has to be sold in a liquor store. Yeah. And it's a malt beverage at that point, I believe. So, smell on this beer. It's a, uh, I guess that's oak. Yeah, I like can. Fr- uh, uh, hmm. There's a little minty thing going on there. But you definitely smell the peaches too. Some of them, maybe the, some of the candy sugar is coming up, mm-hmm. and um, you can get, you can detect the alcohol there. The color is a straw color, and it's cloudy. That's good. That works. Yeah. Um, the champagne yeast gives it surprisingly a champagne quality, and it's got a, it's got a nice brightness to it that the peach puree mm-hmm. brings. Uh, it does not taste chemically or anything like that. Um, I, I really the oak is, is a little subdued. It's not quite you know. It's not this super oaky Chardonnay-like flavor, but it, it, it's there. Um, but those peaches come through really nicely. It looks like Epic Brewing, uh, I'm not sure if they opened in 2008 or if they you know, started planning the brewery in 2008. Um, and the, uh, the head brewer, Kevin Crompton, has been brewing for 13 years at other Utah breweries and in Hawaii. So he has a bit of experience. Yeah, the, uh, reminds me, Let's see if I can get a benchmark on where to start with this beer. Oh, that time the peach really came through, and it was just, oh, that's even better. Man. It reminds, I mean, if I was trying to name a beer that this reminds me most of, I would have to say something like, um... Maybe even Matilda from Goose Island or something like that. That Belgian golden. And then... But it has that oak, that champagne finish. There's a whole lot else going on on that. But the golden ale yeah. kind of reminds me of Matilda. It brings along a nice vinous quality without having a whole lot of kind of grapey flavor to it. Mm-hmm. The Chardonnay... Um, the Chardonnay oak comes through and gives it that. And, of course, the champagne yeast. It's so drinkable. I mean, yeah. you just want to sip, sip, sip. You almost want to gulp, don't you? I mean, it's just so drinkable. Hmm. It's refreshing. It's light. Probably work well with a pasta. Although it's pretty high alcohol. So 
maybe a meaty pasta, something with with girth to it, not just mm-hmm. tomato and basil. Uh, ooh. I agree about the wooa. <laughs> Yeah, I I like the, the the flavors that are here. I'm I'm impressed. They got their uh, barrels from Sawtooth Winery. They apparently have a quote unquote tapless tap room. Uh, so I guess they can't technically tap the beers, but they can give samples if purchased okay. with food. Okay. One of those weird Utah laws. The uh, this is interesting. It says drink from a Pinot glass. Not being a wine geek, I've never heard of a specifically Pinot type glass. I think we talked about this before. How um, I believe white wine glasses are not as wide as red. Yeah, yeah. They're typically more flute like than yeah. than chalice like. Yeah. We're drinking these out of these uh, tulip... The Spielglau. Yeah, Spielglau tulip glasses. Which works fine for the beer. But you could definitely substitute this for wine, and I think people, you know, even people who are just wine geeks only, would not balk. No, this is pretty good. This is... I'm liking it a lot. It brings across this nice peach flavor without being sweet Overtly sweet, I should say. I'm starting to taste the hops, I think, actually. The, the, the tetanang. I yeah. think that's starting to come through a little bit more. Now that we're getting used to the peach flavor, I think the hops are starting to shine a little bit. Tetanang, Zots, and Premiant. I don't know what Premiants are. That's exactly what I'm tasting, is the Premiant. Ten and a half percent? Yeah. Holy shnikes. It's like a wine. I didn't. It, it's sneaky. I doesn't taste that strong at all. I don't know. I I taste the strong. Is that like tasting the rare? I taste the strong. I'm starting to feel the strong, but I don't taste the strong. That's why it's sneaky. Hmm. So, uh, sort of the, the the top of your palate, the top of your mouth, tastes sort of the the, the whiny character, the um, the oakiness, the the chardonnay, and mm-hmm. and the the peach and the fruit is coming forward is coming forth on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I don't have much more to say because I just want to drink it. <laughs> this is really good. Brainless on peaches. By the way, I want to wish my father a happy birthday. He's listening to this one, and he's drinking along with us, and so happy birthday, Dad. Happy birthday. I forget your dad's first name, though. First name is David. David, that's right. Happy birthday, David. I'll see you uh, in June, probably. For Saver. Saver number four, is it already, or yep, five? Yep. It's the fourth one. Yeah, four sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I only have three different kinds of glasses. So, All right, so... Beer to Mars, I guess. I don't... I don't is, it, is it sour? I don't think the Beer to Mars is sour. I right? don't know. Uh, they... Yes. Oh, it is? Maybe we want to do the IPA first, then. Because they have a... They have Brett in there, so... Okay. It all depends on how hoppy the Elysian yeah. idiot Savon is. What do you think? Uh, well, let's do let's do the IPA and then we'll do the New Belgium's last. Okay. All right. So this is they don't have much here on their site because this is one of their specialty beers for Elysian, uh, which has just started coming available here in um, Pennsylvania. But I don't know whether this one is available. So this is their idiot Salvine. Because it's showcasing the Nelson Salvine hops. So instead of Savant, Salvine. Mm-hmm. How clever. It has a monkey painting hops on the label. 
It's part of their Manic Ooh. IPA series. <laughs> yeah, that's hoppy smelling. No doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bomb of a hop, that's a hop bomb for sure. Six point three percent alcohol by volume on this one. Now this will be an interesting follow up because the Nelson Savine hops are known to have that white wine grapey type character to it, right? That's why it has the Savine Savine name to it, like a Savine Blanc or something like that. Since we followed this very wine like beer, I'll be curious to see. It actually might cause it to contrast more than it would otherwise, right? Possibly. The color is a amberish to gold. More amber than gold, I suppose you'd say. It's uh, clear-ish. A lot of condensation around here, so yeah, it's hard it's, to it's, it's pretty clear. Yeah. It's um, yeah, golden red, I would call this one. But immediately, what I'm smelling is a big uh, forward hoppiness. With with a decent malt backbone there. It's really aggressive hop thing. I mean, it's it's resinous. I'm I'm contemplating whether I throw caddy out there. There's definitely a grassy, something grassy there, and there's a bit of floralness. I mean, it it it, it kind of smells. Continental Cascade-ish to me, but with like double that. Right. Sort of like, you know. I, I think I'm going to throw Caddy out there. I think there's this little urinal type aroma going on in there. It's not. It's pretty. See, I don't. I don't smell that. And I'm usually very sensitive to that. We'll see if I taste it. it it's not a major component, but it, it's part of. It's in there. It, it's behind the the big resin, the big piney, the big. See, it's not. It, it's not really reminding me of of grapes so much or wine. Maybe like maybe like grape stems. There's some orange coming through in the aroma also. I'm getting some orange. Maybe a little bit of grapefruit as well. Bitter. Really bitter. Yeah, very bitter. Somewhat so lighter some, in mouthfeel than I expected. There's some citrus fruit to come through first. And then the bitterness stomps on the citrus fruit again. It's just bitter. <laughs> it's really bitter. Perhaps going from the peaches, this wasn't quite the best choice because the subtleties are getting knocked out by the bitterness in here. Well, give it a couple of sips. Yeah. Maybe you'll dial in. I'm trying to pick out the maltiness here, and you know the the, the peaches and and the other malt in the last one really came through, and this one is going to just the stops just going boom, boom, boom. Well, oh, it's part of the stop. manic IPA series. Yes, so it, it it's doing what it advertises. Very late aftertaste. I'm getting some uh, some ruby red grapefruit, maybe some other like uh, candy like flavors. The hops are very resinous and have, give kind of an earthy, uh, um, kind of like a, a woody quality. I just read some marketing speak here. Uh, the star of the show is the citrus and passion fruit aroma and flavor of the New Zealand Nelson Zavon hops. Passion fruit. I'm not sure I know what passion fruit tastes like. I don't know if I could pick it out of a crowd. Um, you know, I've had it in various drinks that have mm-hmm. some passion fruit. But they always have like you know pineapple and apple and other yeah, it's mostly apple too. juice. So yeah. yeah. So how do you pick out passion fruit itself? I don't know. Speaking of which, we talked about when we were at the at the pho place. We talked about durian fruit. Oh, okay. And when I was down there, there's a place. Um, Near my parents, where I got, which has a great market, sort of an ethnic market, and they had durian fruit, <laughs> a big like refrigerator thing full of it, and I was like, maybe I'll buy some for Jeff because hey, it's only a dollar ninety nine a pound, and I looked at it and I picked one up, and it, it, it was like <laughs> six or seven pounds at least, <laughs> big, sharp, super sharp things in these bags, and I was like, wow, so you know, I would be paying $20 or something for this <laughs> stinky fruit. This stinky fruit. I don't even know if we're going to like it. I have to keep it refrigerated, and 
<laughs> no, not gonna happen. <laughs> Next time, sick yeah. puppy has a source where he can get some frozen durian fruit. He uses he brews beer with durian in it. Huh? Haven't had the opportunity to try it yet, but uh, he loves this stuff. He says it, it it's fucked up. You gotta excuse my language. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, I'm quoting sick puppy. So you gotta you gotta be accurate there. Um, it's like it it, it it takes some getting used to. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> But he wasn't really able to describe me what it tastes like. It's just like, I guess there's not much compared to compare to. I was having, I was surprised by how sharp it was. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's this kind of ball with spikes all around it. It's it's sharper than a pineapple, sharper than, uh-huh. yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. <laughs> They're big and they're heavy. Mm-hmm. That that's what shocked me the most because when I saw the picture you showed me on Wikipedia, I was like, "Oh, okay, it's probably about the size of an apple or something." No, it's about the size of a bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, I knew they were like footballs. I, I said like rugby ball size is what I said, but actually, I haven't seen one in first person. So you've you have more experience with Dorian than I do now. Yeah, the bitterness isn't as crushing as it was with the first sip. You know, we're getting a little dialed into it. Yeah. Tongues are getting used to it. This is the Idiot Savant from uh, Elyson. Or Salvine, rather. Yeah, I'm getting more... Yeah, the bitterness isn't killing me anymore. It's, it's It tastes like normal now. It's yeah. like, not like ridiculously bitter. Like It's still pretty step. bitter. It's still, it still comes across sure. as big resiny. Uh, lays some bitterness right there in the middle of the palate. Has this kind of... Kind of tangerine pithy thing going on, maybe a little bit floral uh, on the outside, a little chamomile or something like that. I I was more impressed with the aroma than I am with the flavor. Hmm. Sorry for the dead air. I'm just trying to these big you know single hop beers that are just pushing through it's like you know I think I've said everything that I can pull out of the beer what's the alcohol in this one that's 6.4 I think it was 6.3 yeah 6.3 it works I mean it's a a decent big big IPA it you know until I get some more single hop Nelson Savon you know I, I think it's pretty representative of the style but I think if I, you know, from my very limited experience, it seems that some of that white wine type nuance is kind of getting flooded out, and you're not yeah. really picking that out. You're getting, and it's it's turning more resiny because it's you know it's an imperial, you know, IPA made with those hops. And with IPAs, I mean, it's 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 a malleable style. You can go all types of ways, but mm-hmm. I. Well, you know, first of all, I've talked about this many times. I, I love more malty IPAs, and this is this is kind of straddling the line, I would say, uh, even though it's pretty bitter. But I also like more kind of cascading IPAs. I like sort of more traditional bright IPAs as opposed to a little bit, you know, big resiny hops like uh, right. like, like this one. So, all right, so let's do let's save the pepper beer for last. Let's yes. do the beer de Mars. From New Belgium. So this one is their part of their Lips of Faith series. Six point two percent alcohol volume, twenty two IBUs. If you're curious, one hundred ninety five calories. Hopped with Target, Willamette, and Cascade. Malted with Pale C eighty oats, wheat, and crapless. 14.9 is the original gravity. The total gravity, or TG is total gravity? Terminal gravity. Terminal gravity, 2.9. That's information that you didn't even need, and you got. Fruited and or spiced with lemon peel and lemon verbana. It is uh, conditioned, bottle conditioned with babaniases. And that's what I got. So... Drink up. I'm a big fan of Beer de Mars's French style. It's uh, you know traditionally brewed in um, 
Is it brewed in February for March or brewed in March for later? I forget exactly what the deal is. Uh, it's either brewed or drank in March. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not both. Considering that this is their 2012 version, I assume that this is supposed to be drank in March. And we're close enough. So, yep. Cheers. Cheers. Aroma, it's a spicy thing. You know, the lemon peel he mentions at it. Yeah, it smells kind of like a whip beer when you first take the whiff. I mean, that's your first mile post is, I'm in Whitbeerville. Now let's, you know, get closer from there. I'm going to look up what exactly lemon verbena is, because I don't know. There's some, um... I was busy pouring the beer when you were saying everything was in there, but I think I'm smelling like bergamot. It says lemon verbena is a deciduous open shrub. So it's a type of. Uh, it kind of. I'm getting a smell kind of like Earl Grey tea, like the bergamot that's in the Earl Grey. Hmm. That, now, I'm getting kind of a mango aroma. Mango? Now I'm getting something a little more. The the color, by the way, is a orange. I would say it's a light orange color. Getting something a little more herby. Oh, this is this is great aroma on this. I'm getting something a little more herby now. Uh, maybe because you told me shrub, I'm thinking shrubs. I it's hard to say. You know what you know influences your mm-hmm. your perception, but it. I'm actually smelling something that's a little more pollen-y. It reminds me vaguely of that that dogfish, you know, Egyptian beer. Like the aroma, like ah. how is that? How is that polleny kind yeah. of kind of? Um, oh, I don't even know what the word is. I mean, because it's not resinous. It's kind of. I think it's just you know, um, pollen or uh, like fern pollen or something like that. Well, it definitely has a a, a, a very spring. Aroma, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's got this this freshness aroma coming through. So if you went through a uh, um, a garden in spring or something, you may get some components of this aroma. Or you know, particularly if you went through a, a big uh, a big fruit, you know, like a fruit trees or something like that, orange trees, you may smell something along this line. That's a wonderful complex aroma yeah it's one you just want to smell I, I gave it a good swirl to really you know open it up and took a big whiff and i almost smelled something like um something how do i want to word it because almost like instead of saying smoky i want to say like fire like like there's um because it isn't smoke like smoke mulch or ham or anything like that. It's not like a smoked thing, but it's more like a spark or you know that kind of like the just the the freshest like little volatile smoke off of. I don't know how to call that even yeah. smoke. It's more of a. It's not ozone, which would be from the spark, but. No, I, I'm, I'm just getting, uh, fields, you know. Mm-hmm. Freshness, yeah, wildflowers, yeah, uh, yeah. But like, I'm going back to the pollen from the wildflowers. You know, just a big field full of flowers, and you're getting the aroma that's just blowing around. And I'm gonna have to go back to the bergamot um, smell again, which is an oil from orange peel, right? I believe that's what bergamot is. It tastes like a field full of grasses and shrubs, and the Brett gives it a little bit of a, of an extra earthy character there. It's fascinating. It's different. You get that very, very aromatic herbal late mm-hmm. in the aftertaste too. That comes back up. It's almost like a. I don't know. I don't know what spice that would be. It's almost like a pur- it's like something not really you'd cook with, but something that would be in a potpourri. Well, I mean, maybe you would cook with it. Maybe it's 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 almost like a saffron sort of thing, right? Saffrons are flower stem flower steamens, right? The, the yeah, Let's see. maybe maybe that's not what I'm picturing. I'm thinking more like. 
heather, but with you know more more lavender to it. <laughs> this is um, I should mention that this style of beer is one of my favorite styles. It's it it can be subtle and it can be strong, but it really tends to be big these great big floral essences and and lots of of really interesting stuff coming out of it. Yeah, I'm uh, not sure I've really had enough to really characterize what to expect from a beer to Mars because like I'm thinking we had the Jolly Pumpkin, mm-hmm. which was amazing, one of the best beers we've ever had, but. It's not like this at all. It's no. Nothing. But, nothing like this. But there are certain characteristics that follow through. There's there's a there's a floral bit to it. There's a bit of a of a sourness to it. There's um there's a bit of a lightness to it. There there's I've had a couple beer to Mars and and they, they all none of them I I dislike in any way. Hmm. See, I've had, I can't think of examples right now, but I'm, I recall having, you know, some of more normal beer to Mars's, you know, which is this French, French farmhouse ale and really just kind of dry and not much going on. And, you know, I wouldn't be as um, complimentary as, as you were about, you know, all, but, you know, then we've had a few. I'm trying to remember the Omegong one that we had. I can't, I can't recall what that one was like, though. Well, maybe I am biased because yeah, the, the Jolly Pumpkin Beer Arts is still remains my favorite beer of all time. The the Oak Age twenty six month Beer of Mars was yeah. just it's, it's something unbelievable. It was. Didn't we try that? No, they didn't have it. I was I yes, we we tried that at Pines for Prostates, Prostates and they had it, and it wasn't quite as good as the one we had. Yeah, but it was still pretty good. Set and Sess and, you know, mm-hmm. set and setting make for a whole lot of... Uh, yeah. I, I remember when I was talking to Ron Jeffries about that experience, right? He he looked at me like, you know, just some schmo, which I am some schmo that didn't really know what he was talking about. They're like, you know, okay, man. I don't know, I just got, I got this feeling like, yeah, so... <laughs> I was trying to tell him how great it was. This is fascinating. Yeah. This is the uh, New Belgium Lips of Faith Beer de Mars. There's, a, there's so many different flavors coming with you. There, there's there's these this orangeness. There's uh, this this polony flavor. There's uh, a grassy. There's a, a slight leatheriness from the bread. Mm-hmm. There is. You really get to go reaching for the breath. It doesn't stand out. So, you know, it, it's mild. Yeah. And it was just bottle conditioned. And it, it plays its part. But yeah, it's not this big, breaded beer. Dude, the breath's just of, an accent. There's a bit of lime, even. There's. Mm-hmm. Lime's a good way to go. Yeah, it's, it's pretty late. Yeah, I, I'm picking that up now. Fascinatingly complex, really, really very interesting and uh, that, delicious beer. What's the name of that herb that they put in there? That shrub or whatever? The lemon verbana. That thing must be what's adding this this character. That this I, kind of green leafy character. Yeah, right? it's so good. Like I said, it's 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 part bergamot, it's part heather, it's part lavender. It's awesome. Yeah, this one is uh, pretty exceptional. I highly recommend you you, you, you trace this out. Uh, you know, Peter hates saying things are styles. Peter Bukard from from New Belgium, but this this fits pretty well in the Beard of Mars style. And I gotta say, it's damn good. I would say it's more. I would say it transcends beer to Mars. I'd say it is just with all those spices and everything. I would say it's just so much more. If you were judging this on a beer to Mars, I am not qualified to judge beer no, to Mars. First off, but I would decline. I think, it, I think it fits in in the style very well because it has the the qualities that, that a beer to Mars should have, and it also has just this lovely you know 
aromatic qualities that come through too. This is pretty awesome. It, it is pretty awesome. I'm not going to make any statements on how to style it is. I would say, from my what I think style is, I'd say this transcends the style. This is this is to me this is stereotypical Peter Bukard saying, "Yeah, um, I'm going to make whatever the hell I want. If it fits in a style, fine. If it doesn't." Even better. <laughs> well, the next Peter Brookhart beer doesn't have a style associated with it, so. That was delicious. Delicious. Now I have high expectations that this pepper beer, pepper cocoa beer, the Coco Mole, is going to transcend what I expect from a pepper beer. <laughs> So this is the Coco Mole Ale with Coconut Spices, another one of their Lifts of Faith series. It is hot with target hops, malted with pale C80 chocolate and dark chocolate malts. Original gravity of 22. Oh, shut up. I'm just smelling the bottle. (laughs) (laughs) And spiced with cocoa, chili, and cinnamon. Cinnamon's big on the neck, you know, the aroma coming off the neck of the bottle, but... Whew, man. Big, uh, big rocky head with a very dark brown beer. Not quite black, it's got... It, it's dark with some sort of amber highlights. Cinnamon's the biggest thing on the aroma. Cocoa would be number two. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's they kind of like a cinnamon bun. It's kind of <laughs> kind of got some of that cinnabon sort of flavor or aroma. They say that they use uh, ancho gaulio, gaulio, and chipotle peppers. Nine percent alcohol by volume, but don't fear the heat. Because there's plenty of caramel and chocolate malts to bring in a smooth, complex flavor. Coco Mole. Alright. The sense of cinnamon when poured will have you saying, Ole for Mole! <laughs> Thank you, marketers! Ole, ole. It is crazy cinnamon on the nose. It almost almost smells like a um, like a chai, you know, with all the cinnamon. Yeah, it's not really a ginger in the component to it, but it almost smells like a chai with the cinnamon and the cocoa. Yeah, it has some of that, some of that. But I I'm getting cinnabon. <laughs> I mean, I'm really smelling a, a cinnamon roll. There's a little bit of heat to it. Mm-hmm. Good. I mean, it's it's Ooh. a good balance on the heat. Ooh. Actually, the burn is low and slow, and it keeps it going. Yeah, that works well. Yeah. So, uh, cinnamon cocoa was the first thing you got, and you're like, oh, there's a little bit of heat here, and it kind of like just, like I said, it just kind of maintains. And as the other flavors diminish, the heat just kind of burns through it, and it lasts for. I know, like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. This is the one that uh, I wasn't able... There was only one of these. So I believe this is the one that my dad wasn't able to have. Mm. So, it's unfortunate. It's got this nice... Yeah, this this nice sort of low... Like it just says, low and slow heat going along for the ride with and, the rest and it lasts, of the It lasts longer than the rest of the flavors, right? So, you get the other flavors on top first, and when they fall out and run out of steam, the peppers just power through. And give you a little bit more. Sort of like a mole. Not quite like any mole I've ever had. I mean, I've had moles before. They don't tend to be quite as... They tend to be more chocolate and less spice. Is mm-hmm. in my... It's more, you know... You know the, the, if, it, if there's a spice, it's a little bit of a deeper spice. Um... But this is more of a chili beer with kind of chocolate undertones. Mm-hmm. I, I've only had a mole twice, and one of them is from Mad Max, so that's 
Cali mix. Yeah. Not really mole. The other one was from a real Mexican place, and I was kind of disappointed by their mole, so I don't have much uh, much experience. I'm not super well experienced in mole either. I'm just trying to compare it to moles that I've had. And, yeah, I would mostly call this a, a, a chili beer with, with chocolate tones as opposed to necessarily like, oh, this is this is a lot like a mole. But I like the chili. I think it does interesting things. Um, it's a little, a little one note. Well, I mean, we're coming off a pretty high horse, right? Yes. We're coming from the the Beard of Mars, which was a thousand notes. Mm-hmm. And this one, I wouldn't say one note. This one's like a five or six note, right? Because you got you got the cocoa, you got the cinnamon. No, I'm saying the chili itself. Oh, the it's chili? A little... No, I would say the chili has it has a very wide profile to it. I mean, like when it's on your tongue, I feel it across my whole tongue, left, right, middle. You know, I'm getting it very balanced. Burn. I'm getting something. That's but that's. Pretty... But what I'm saying is, is, is that can maybe two notes because I'm mostly just getting a burn and maybe a little bit. Which is, I mean, like I think the best part of chilies is not the burn, but the flavor you get from the pepper part. I mean, but these are you know these are ancho and chipotle. Yeah. So those are both smoked peppers, and I do not know what a, a galulio is. But um, I presume that's probably smoked as well. So you're going to get pretty similar flavors from those. I think they're just kind of complementing each other and kind of spreading out the the profile so it's not too sharp in any one place. I like the way the cinnamon is kind of sort of sort of prickling on the edges. It's kind of sort of jumping around on top of everything. Yeah, I mean it. It, it it's definitely the most cinnamony beer. I've had. Yeah. I mean, when you take the first sip, it's the first thing that hits your tongue. And then the cocoa comes through. But then, like you said, the cinnamon jumps on top and kind of this, this little sprightly thing is jumping around around, and then uh, the peppers come through. It's it's nice. <laughs> I like it. It's a chocolate chili beer. It's very good. Very, very good. I'm trying to think where this compares in my list of pepper beers, and it's pretty far up there. It's... Yeah. I mean, it's up there with Ring of Fire. Ring of Fire was really awesome. <laughs> Ring of Fire know. was really awesome. And since know. we'll probably never, ever taste it again, yeah. you kind of have to penalize it a little bit because it's so rare. Ring of Fire was made with Tabasco, and it was just... It, it was... Ring of Fire was from Iron Hill Brewing out in eastern Pen- eastern side of Pennsylvania. And, you know, they said, hey, everyone's putting bar- beer in barrels. Hey, <laughs> they aged Tabasco in barrels. <laughs> Let's do a beer in a Tabasco barrel. And they had to blend the thing, like, way out. Like, only, like, 10% or less of the beer uh-huh. was actually in the barrel. And it was still spicy as hell. That was awesome. I'm... <laughs> I- I don't quite remember. I mean, I I vaguely remember the flavor of that beer. I remember how awesome it was. Yes. I mean, because it's been like four years now, three years. So it's been a long time since we had that beer. This is good. This is very good. Because these have all been very good beers, really. I mean, uh, the the only beer that was kind of like, eh, was going to be a license, maybe. The Elysian was like, I mean, it was decent. Mm-hmm. But the rest of them have been really. I mean, I I think the Kelpie is going to be a little bit of a hard luck loser here because I thought the Kelpie was really good, but it's Kelpie just... was a surprise. I you know being an import, you don't know how fresh it is. Being a seaweed beer, you don't know how gimmicky it is. Uh, it's the same brewery that makes the Farrah Heather Ale, mm-hmm. which you see a lot more places, and we've had that before. That's decent, and uh, yeah, so I have respect for the brewery because I mean this is well done. It's not gimmicky. It's not it tasted fresh to me. Which is good. I guess we should rank, shouldn't we? We should. Jeff, how would you rank these beers? I'm going to pause. Alright, unpause. This was this was agonizing. Because I, I want to give honest rankings, right? And I want to have a good story behind it. Uh, for the, the number one beer, it was tough. It was up between the epic... Uh, brainless on peaches and the beer de mars 
And I, I'm like, do I take the the drinkability of the epic and that that peach and the other great golden ale things I had going on, or do I take that awesome spicy I'm gonna say bergamot heather leather, uh, lavender thing going on? And I almost had to flip a coin, but I'm gonna take the the epic first. I, I, it was just because it was so drinkable. It made me want to gulp it. Mm. Um, and I had to say, no, don't gulp this. Sip this. It made me want to gulp it. It was so drinkable. At 10%, it, it held, it hid the alcohol amazingly well. You could feel it after drinking some, but you couldn't taste it, you know, in your mouth. Number two, I'm going to put the, uh, Lips of Faith Beer to Mars. That spice, the lemon, whatever the heck it was. Um, the 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 pollen, the the field of shrubs and wildflowers, the it was awesome, 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 awesome. It reminded me so much of that dogfish Egyptian beer that was very polleny. Also, it had the all those palm palm or uh, palm date pollen type thing going on. Number three, I'm going to put the uh, Coco Mole from New Belgium. One of the best pepper beers that I can can recall. Delicious. Number four. It gets a little tough here too because it was a very good porter that had some seaweed added. Right. And it was this experimental. Let's do this single hop thing. Let's showcase what a lot of Nelson Savine hops taste like. Right. I'm going to have to put the Kelpie 4th and the Elysian 5th. But I would call the Elysian a hard luck loser because I appreciated what it did, what it showed me, what I learned from it. But just drinkability-wise, it, it it wasn't at the top. It was, it was down there. I'm I'm close to you on the rankings. Uh, not quite exactly. The, the Beard of Mars is number one for me. I, I love... Well, I love Beard of Mars as I've said it so much before. I love the floralness. I love the the the, the capacity for for interesting flavors that comes mm-hmm. from this, and and just to, to, this huge array of flavors that came out of this was just wonderful. And I I have to say, a fantastic job done on this beard and Mars, and so it's number one for me. Number two, I was kind of you know I was kind of jumping in between because you know the coca mole had a last minute like, hey. Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> not just and, and you know what wasn't you, you know what what gave me that last minute hey, the cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cinnamon brought it back. It's like oh, it's the quarterback. Yeah, it, it's- and but I gotta say that does that that peace stuff wins out. I and talked I, into it, didn't I? Yeah. Well, I don't know whether you necessarily talked into it, but you know you helped. You helped my mind get through it. So I guess you could say you talked me into it. <laughs> Six of one, half dozen the other. Uh, Brandon Sun Peaches is number two for me. Uh, my, the, the rest goes much like Jeff. Coca Mole was number three. It was really, really delicious. Excellent pepper beer. Uh, Ring of Fire was better. But come on. <laughs> That's really delicious. Number four, I think Kelpie was great. I really do. I thought it was. A great sessionable beer that has a lot of great flavor um, and has this extra little bit that you not wouldn't necessarily pick out if you didn't know about it, but you know it gives it it gives it something something to talk about in addition to the fact that it's a really good beer yeah i'm so, i'm trying to I'm trying to decide whether the seaweed is superfluous or a nice nuance you know I'm I think to- it's a nice nuance i do i I think that it added something to it. I, I think that without it, it would have been not not, not necessarily a bog standard porter, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't necessarily have have had quite the dimensionality that it had. So, if you see this, don't be afraid of it. Check it out. The Elysian, Elysian, uh, Elysian. Sorry, the Elysian. I wouldn't say it's a hard luck loser. I would say it's uh, you know it, it it doesn't match up to other beers um, for me. And, and I, I appreciate, like you said, I appreciate what they're trying to do. The other beers are better. I'm, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I also appreciate you know what it what it showed me. You know what they what they did, what they showed me. So yeah. I, I like that also. 
All right, cool. Thank you, Greg, for uh, picking some beers down at Chevy Chase. I thought uh, I thought the show title would be more fun making a play on Chevy Chase since he's more famous as an actor than this town. But, we, you know, you, you already staked the claim at the $50 beer show. $50 so. beer show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, catch you guys later. And happy birthday, Dad. Happy birthday, Dave. Thank you. David. David. David, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you for listening to Craft Beer Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. The opening and closing music is Last Hurrah, the band The Lights Out. You can listen to more of their music at their website, thelightsout.com. Some people get a longer fuse. Some people's shoulders are big enough for the abuse.